0: May that be our prayer today. Precious Lord, take my hand and lead me on. Turn with me again to the book of Ecclesiastes. Man, it's been good. We've only got through chapter 1. It is, of course, just as much scripture as John, or Acts, or Romans, or Revelation. Ecclesiastes was penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is so needful for us on a daily basis. It's so practical and it reminds us, so often we get so busy in life doing things and being things that we forget to rest in the arms of the Almighty, to literally sit at His feet, And just be still and know that he is God. Solomon, throughout this book, provides us kind of a scientific view of life versus the Lord. And so he sets up this laboratory of life and he begins to uh, put forth uh, different hypotheses. And he says, is this better than that? Is this part of life, is all these things better? And may I cut to the chase and say, by the time we get to the end of the book, we will have understood over and over and over again, 38 times he says, it's all vain. It's just vanity. It's just vanity. It's vexation of spirit. It's emptiness. There is no fulfillment in it. And once again, may I say, it's like a bubble that burst that leaves no residue behind well as we have begun through the foundation of chapter 1 we begin chapter 2 by presenting his question pleasure or poison pleasure or poison I'm taken back to the little children's movie of Snow White and how she was so hungry and the Wicked Witch offers her an apple. But the apple is poisoned. And of course, Snow White falls into this coma. And miraculously, through the writers, she comes back to life. The problem is, in our life, apart from Jesus Christ, we do not have a knight in shining armor. We do not have a potent antidote. There's not some anti-venom that's going to fix us apart from the Lord. And yet we keep trying to find things that's going to take the place of God. May I reiterate, there's a God-sized hole in all of us that only God can feel. And the problem is, for many of us, we're trying to drive a square peg in a round hole. And we just believe if we try harder, we can make it work. If we just enjoy more things. And so today, Solomon presents us this idea of, is it really pleasure or is it poison? He starts in verse 1. I said in my heart, now he just literally sat down. You ever just have a time where you reflect? Maybe it's in the car and the radio's blaring, but you don't even hear what's playing. You may be sitting in front of the TV and you have no idea what's showing because you are meditating on the things of life and you are being very uh, inward focused and thinking about your life. Did the day matter? Did I get anything accomplished? Does do I have any kind of future? And so Solomon sat down. And he began to converse with himself. Now, I've often heard that you're not crazy to talk to yourself. There's a real problem if you start answering yourself. But sometimes we need an answer, we need an answer to ourselves. And he said, I said in my heart, Go to now. I will prove thee with mirth or with pleasure, with all the enjoyment this world can offer. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly. Till I might see what was that good for the sons of men. Which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. We begin today by looking at this test. First of all, the test of recreation. The test of recreation. Solomon literally says, "I sought out to see if having fun and grasping uh, uh, the world by, by the tail and pouring myself into the fulfillment of everything I see as pleasurable, will it satisfy me?" We go through life. And you know, when we're young, we get our first car, man, we name it, and uh, we polish it, and we keep it clean. Well, some keep it clean. And, you know, we take great pride in it. And then the older we get, we buy a house, and then we do some other things. And before long, those cars no longer are... Or trucks are, are the absolute center of our attention, we stop naming them and we just call them Old Truck instead of Betsy or Susie or whatever. And don't look at me cross eyed, I know you named your vehicles too. And they, you know, we pour all our money into radios, and our wheels and tires and radios cost more than vehicles until we get older and we see them as a tool. And then we, we move that money and we move our attention to the pleasurable things of. Other projects, and we start building up hobbies, and we start playing games, and we go on trips, and we do all kinds of things, and we recreate. And recreation simply means to enjoy the pleasure of. And so we see whether it's entertainment or enjoyment. What's the difference? What's the difference in entertainment and enjoyment? Well, For one, I think, entertainment is going to a really good movie, really good movie or a really good concert, somebody that you really enjoy listening to. I was flipping channels last night when we got back from going out with our young at heart to love seafood. Man, we had a great time. I come home and, man, I'm still full. We went to Sam's and bought groceries and all this and got it all back home and unpacked. And I'm studying and I'm flipping channels. And I hit a concert of a group that was big in the 70s. It was for short called ELO. That's how old it is. The Electric Light Orchestra. And they're playing some of the stuff I like to listen to and they, all the new light shows and they've got the full orchestra and it's just it was wonderful. It was very entertaining. But I turned it off went to bed. Because there's no fulfillment in enjoyment. I may enjoy it, but it's not true enjoyment. The difference is, you can walk away from a movie and think, man, that's great. And then you want to see the next big movie that comes out. And the next one, and the next one. And and ELO and all the other stuff that we listened to when we were younger. My mom turned me on to the old stuff. Man, I'd listen to Fats Domino and... Uh, All those and Chuck Berry. I I still like that stuff because mom introduced it to me. But other stuff came along. And and so you start building up. But none of it completely satisfies because the difference is entertainment touches the flesh. And enjoyment is the fulfillment of who we are that only Christ can give. Enjoyment versus entertainment. You see, we can come, and I'm going to tell you, I left here last Sunday having fully enjoyed being in the presence of the Lord. Several of you kind of looked at me across like, what is he doing this morning? When I came down to, to just welcome and shake hands, I just decided I was just going to stay a while. I wanted to just shake hands few people's hands. Just enjoy. Because so often we get here in the morning and we come in and I'm, I'm finishing up a little sermon and I try to greet some people and, and, and then we walk over and then music starts and then I preach and then we dismiss and everybody goes back. And that's it. And for many that's the only time we see each other during the entire week. And so I wanted to take just a little bit of time to enjoy The presence of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Solomon sought entertainment versus enjoyment. Look with me. Right off the bat. Verse 1. I said in my heart. I said in my heart. I will prove. I will prove myself with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. Behold this also. Is vanity. You see, right off the bat, he said, I said in my heart. We often face our own selfish motives. What are we trying to get out of it? Are we trying to reach our fullest potential for Christ even in recreation? Listen, recreation's fine. I don't want to demonize it. I'm not saying that we are to be monastic. I'm not saying that we are to go run to the hills, hide in caves, and live a pauper's life. God gives us blessings. And even when we pray in His will, the desires of our heart. Because of the desires of our heart will match up with God's will. But He blesses us. Amen? He blesses us. I mean, we're not, we're not meeting in a tent. We could be meeting in a tent. But God has allowed us to have this and we saw it being used as ministry yesterday and we've seen it for months. We've seen it for years. But we could say, hey, we don't need all this. I've heard people look around and say, why does the church need all that? We could be sending it for mission, but God has blessed them to use it. So often we become our own worst enemy because we have selfish motives. What? What? Can I get out of life? And so we pour all of our attention into our own selfish motivation. What makes me feel good? So often I've seen people come to church. You invite somebody and they come and they don't ever come back. So well, I thought it was going to be this and I thought it was going to be that. Well, I, and, and you're not feeding me and you're not. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't pick up a fork. And put it in your mouth. You're not going to get fed. So often we just want to be entertained. We want to come to church. We want to sing our kind of music. We want it to be our length of time. We want the message to make us feel good. I'm going to tell you the greatest messages ever preached. Are the ones who tell us we need Jesus. That we're not good. That we're not self-fulfilling. That we need to look with all of our might. On the one who can do something about it. We don't need any more self-help. We don't need any more 12-step programs. We just need more of Jesus. Solomon had his eyes on his own selfish motivation. What can I get? Now, he had the wisdom... That God had given him. And God began to bless him through that wisdom. And he had built up this great kingdom. But in doing so, he began to use that for his own profit. It was a selfish motivation. Hey, man, I'm the king of David. I'm the son of David. I'm the king. He says it right. We read right off the bat in both uh, uh, last week. He said, I'm the king in Jerusalem. Several times, the king, he said, the preacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. He understood the ramifications of that. This was God's city in God's chosen land. And so he said, This is what I'm going to do. I was getting ready this morning, and it crossed my mind the words of a man God called a fool. Same thing. He said, I'll just say to myself, self, I've got so much. I'm going to tear down everything I've got and build bigger. Man, look what I've done. Can you believe all that I have done? I've worked hard. I've laid my hand. Now, before we do it, we're going to enjoy We're going to enjoy the pleasures of this world. We're going to have a party. And so he began to plan and began to bring all in so everyone could admire what he had. God said, you're a fool. For tonight your soul shall be required of thee. Who knows what tomorrow holds and whether you'll live it. We need to understand that when we choose entertainment, it's all often derived from our own selfish motivation. What can I get? You know why teens do the things they do? It's because they're trying to learn what satisfies them and they have not fully grasped that only Jesus can do it. That's why we need youth ministry. That's why we need children's ministry. L- listen to me real quick. That's why we need mothers and daddies who will be the spiritual caregivers in their home. We are not that. We're not, Ryan is not your children's parent. Michelle is not your children's mother. You are. You are their father. You can drop them off, pump them up, let them sing, teach them instruments, and all those things. But if you're not showing them and modeling for them at home how to be a Christian, then they're not going to understand. They're going to see other people do it, but mom and daddy does something different. Never understood. And I thank God that the children come. But I cannot grasp. In, 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 the, in the furthest stretch of my mind, how a parent can say, I care about my kids so much that I drop them off the church, but I don't go. It's good enough for your kids, but it's not good enough for you. You have outgrown God. We don't need God. We don't realize that our children are, are crying. They're getting it and they're praying. You know what? Kids pray when they come, when their parents drop them off, they pray for them. That's what they pray for. We want to change our world. We need to change adults. And we can't do that. We've got to stop being so entertained by the things of this world. It's the only thing that matters. Summer's coming. Summer's coming. Will we spend our summer being entertained or will we enjoy the summer? There's a difference. There's a difference. And we can go on vacation. We can go skiing, we can go to the lake, we can go to the mountains, we can go to the beach, we can go camping, we can play golf, we can do any of those number of things and be right with God. But if that is the focus and not the Lord giving us what we get and enjoying it and putting God first and not allowing that to overlay the Lord's presence, we'll be all right. But we become selfish where we want more and we want more and we want more. To where church is important if there's nothing else. Studying our Bible. Do, do you think when I go on vacation the first thing I need to pack is my Bible? Or we worried about i got to pack my medicine? Why do you pack your medicine? Because you need it. Right? Well, if I don't take my medicine, then my insulin will get off and my blood pressure. Will be but what about the word of God that's life changing? We teach our kids, you need to study. You need to study. Grades are important. You need to have a good GPA. One day you're going to apply for college. But when do we sit down and say, you need to study the word of God because it's going to guide you in college. It's going to guide you in marriage. It's going to guide you as a parent. It's going to guide you as an employee. It's going to guide you as an employer. It's going to employ you. It's going to guide you as a grandparent. And when you come to die, what's going to matter is thus saith the Lord. Do we tell them to study their Bible as much as we tell them to study their math? Selfish motives. Because if we get all, all our busy stuff done, then we can just be entertained. We are our own worst enemy. I'm gonna tell you. Man, it's easy for me to look around and say, Well, if she wouldn't have done that, he wouldn't have done that. But when I when I go in in the morning, I got this little cow lick right here, it's driving me crazy. Me and Marilyn's tried to work on this thing. We can't it's just like, I don't know. And and, and I get up in the morning, I walk in there, and that's the first thing I have to do, is wet that spot. Blow dry, and I look in that mirror and I'm looking trying to get to And I realize I'm staring at my worst enemy. Before I ever leave the house. I've just faced off with my worst enemy. He's the one. That guy staring at me. That guy with the cow lick. It's on the opposite side. Mine's on this side. But his is on that side. You'll get that a little bit. Jerry laughed. But anyway... That's the guy who's going to lie to me. He'll lie to me all day long. He'll say, you're important. He will. I'm telling you, this guy is nasty. Man, he'll get, he'll concoct all these stories and say, you're the victim. You just need to tell them what you think. This guy tells me this junk all the time. He says, when is it your turn? When do you get to do what you want to do? And he, he tells me this stuff all the time. Selfish motives. But then, exploitive mannerisms. He said, "A set of laughter is mad and of mirth, what does it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do. Uh, Now, he said, not only for me, but for everybody else. I'm going to tell you what happens. When we become so selfishly motivated by entertainment, it will become exploitive in our mannerisms. In other words, we will do whatever it takes to find fulfillment, no matter what the cost to other people around us. People say that this or that is victimless crimes. Do you know... Listen, do you know that child molesters do not wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to molest a child. It starts with movies. It starts with music. And it goes into soft pornography and then into hard pornography. You say, preacher, that's not scientific. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. They have done in-depth scientific studies on serial killers such as Ted Bundy, and John Wayne Gacy, and many others, and it starts with these fantasies of pleasure in their mind. It starts with uh, mutilating squirrels to then mutilating human beings. It becomes very exploitive, and it's not just in killing or, or, or in some kind of molestation, but it's in the abusing of people's feelings, people's lives, and, and that everyone else doesn't matter as long as I'm happy, you ever heard somebody say, "Well, I just speak my mind. I don't care if they don't want to hear what I got to say. Then they don't li-. listen." That is the most selfish, exploitative, pleasure-seeking, fleshly thing we can do. Do we? Did God say you have a right to say whatever you want, or did He say study to be quiet? Which one did He say? Did he say to be wise as a serpent, yet gentle as a dove? But yet we want to get our opinion. No, we're living in the world that everybody's opinion seems to trump everybody else's. And everybody wants everybody to be tolerant, except to be tolerant of the people who are intolerant. Christians should be tolerant of everybody, except... They should not have to tolerate Christians. But a real Christian doesn't tolerate sin, but they love sinners. And they confuse that. You see, we become exploitive when when the test becomes recreation first. Everything else doesn't matter. And I want you to take that to the nth degree. If you are born again. Hear me now. If you know, without a shadow of a doubt, there was a point in your life where you fully grasped the severity of sin. That you knew that you were damned without Christ. Now I'm giving you scriptural verbiage. That unless you were born again, you were not going to enter the kingdom of God. You understood what Jesus told Nicodemus to be truth. You understood what Romans tells us. You understood what Matt said this morning. Jesus died a gruesome, gruesome, vicarious death. That means he died in place of us. He died for our sins. And at that point, you fell on your face confessing the wretchedness that is us. And said, I'm a sinner bound for hell. But I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that he gave his life a ransom for many. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the Father, through his love, would inrush me, which is a corpse, and calls me to live again. You were born again. Well, I can tell you, if you're born again, then God's called you. God will spiritually gift you. And if you're seeking the worldly recre- uh, recreation over godly giftedness and you're not serving in the capacity god's called you to then you are exploiting others in your vacancy see it's not just the sin of commission it's sin of omission do you understand that when you do not do what god's called you to do there's a void in the body of christ there's a void It's like chopping a finger off. My great grandfather lost an arm in a cotton gin. I've got the picture, a picture in front of his little his little store, little country store gas pumps out front. I've got a picture of him standing there in his old engineer looking overhauls and hat with, with his arm like this. And he used to tell my dad when dad was a boy about when he lost his arm in that cotton gin. And they took it because it just severed it. I'm not trying to be gruesome, but they put it in a the box. They, look, there wasn't no reattaching and all that kind of stuff. They just put it in a box, took it out and filled and buried it. And he said, he didn't know the words. He said, but I could just feel like there was stuff. And he said, I'd go to scratch and it wouldn't be there. He said, I just believe his bugs crawling on my arm. He'd tell my daddy. And it was, he'd reach for it and it wouldn't be there. Listen, the church of the living God is the voice that must be crying in the wilderness, pointing to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. Young people, Listen, I know you've got more thrown at you than we could ever imagine, but you've got to make up your mind. I will not exploit my youth to get what I can out of this life rather than give what I can for the one who gave it all for me. It's an empty endeavor, it's just empty. We're never satisfied. Well, I'll collect stamps, and you get all that you get or all you can afford. So you collect coins, and then you do that for a while, and then you collect Coke bottles. And that's satisfied for a little while, and before long, somebody's having a yard sale, and they're selling everything they've ever collected. And they've moved on. And you've walked in, and they got a shot glass from every place they've ever been, or a salt shaker. My grandmother liked to collect little angels. She had all kinds of little angels, and... When she passed, my mother said, I I said, no, mother, I don't want any of them. I want no angels. Don't need any angels. I said, now, I'll take a Bible. I'll take something. I got one of my grandfather's Bibles. But listen, we're never satisfied. Never satisfied. Tell me the truth, all you guys that like to hunt. Kill an eight-pointer, you want on a nine-pointer. Catch a 10-pounder, you're on a 12-pointer. Huh? You get, you get one coach pocketbook, you want a Louis Vuitton. You get you a Louis Vuitton, then you want two Gucci's. You want this, you want that. I don't care what it is. Insert whatever you like. I don't care what it is. Insert it. And before long, you want something else. You're never satisfied. It starts with the little things. It starts with a drink here and a smoke there and a needle here. And before long, you cannot be satisfied. And every day on the streets of the United States of America, people who were beauty queens, who were captains of their football team, are ODing on heroin because the little thing didn't satisfy them anymore. It gets bigger, stronger. It's just emptiness. It's emptiness. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's empty. Look at them. All you that's like me that likes all that stuff. I love talk to Trey. He's walking encyclopedia of a lot of those old guys. But I think of the greats. You know, we talk about this all the time. The greats. Do you understand that one guy... That, was, that fought he, didn't fight, but he was in the United States Army that is still recognized today as probably the greatest living guitar or, or greatest person to ever live that played the guitar. He played it left-handed and I'm not talking about Paul McCartney. It's Jimi Hendrix. Listen, we're talking about in the 60s not only a black man, a black kid who come out of squalor, that learn to play guitar, left-handed, goes in the army and becomes the greatest guitar player that's still recognized ever in the world. But you see, every rock group since then has been inspired by him. Do you know how old Jimi Hendrix was when he died of an overdose? As Bad Company said. A bottle of whiskey and sleeping tablets by his head. He was 24 years old. 24. Imagine what he could have been. All right, all the rest of you, especially for you, pretty boy. How old was he? How old was Elvis? 44. Yeah, yeah Men in Black, he just went home. Elvis died. I talked to his stepbrother who was in the house. Many of you have heard Rick Stanley. He died. And Rick Stanley, as he preached, he said, people come to me all the time. said, did Elvis go to heaven? He sang gospel music. He said, he may have sang it, but I can't tell you that he went to heaven because I never saw any fruit. I don't know. Truth is, it was empty. Elvis... He liked the, if he liked a Cadillac, he bought him one, and all of his friends one. It, when, when his daughter had a birthday party, he didn't just rent some ponies for him to ride. he bought all of them a pony. Am I right? And died from a drug overdose laying in the floor of a bathroom. What a broken, miserable life. Emptiness. Still love listening to his music, but it breaks my heart at how he died. And people that are not famous guitarists, and famous rock stars, and king of rock and roll, not famous, they're just dying. Because they're trying to find fulfillment in this world. A lot, a lot of people are broken hearted after that national championship football game. I'm not trying to rub anybody's... not, Hey, great game, great seasons. They'll play another one. If the Lord had not come back, they'll play another one next January. So just hold on. And then they'll play another one after that another one after that. It's never enough. It's ne- never enough rings. Never enough wins. Never enough because it's empty. Y'all getting any of this? I mean, does this resonate... It resonates with me because I, I like things. But can I tell you what God has done in my life just as a personal testimony? We have moved so many times now. We've moved I've lost three, four times since we've been here in six years. I had a set of old antique lamps that come out of my grandparents' house. I have no idea where they were. I think they were stolen... In a building that I had rented. I had a gold cross and a star of David that I bought in Israel. It's gone. I had a ceremonial headdress that I got when I was in Jordan. It's gone. Other things in life. My hammer. You say a hammer? You're talking about jewelry stuff? Now you're talking about a hammer? I made a living with this hammer for 20 years. Gone. My mom and dad gave me a banjo one time. I was bound to turn. I was going to learn how to play the banjo. I still wouldn't know how to play it, but it's gone. So I now got an excuse. I could start Cripple Creek and I could start smoke on the water. That's about all I could get. You know? But it's gone. I wish I still, how many of you wish you still had your first vehicle? What'd you have, Eric? I wished I had your first vehicle. Jerry, what'd you have? Dodge what? Charger. Man, we're talking about who else? Philip, what'd you have? I hate See, we got a thing going on except for this crazy Mopar guy. Mine was a 71 Monte Carlo. Not only do I wish, you hear my wife? Not only do I still wish I had my first one, she wishes I still had my first one. Loved it. Man, why in the world? But all I could see is I wanted something better. Right? Wanted something better. Wanted something better. And now it's gone. And all of you that don't understand that, that's had to drive these rice-burning, cookie-cutter things, y'all don't even understand what a good vehicle's about. But it's all empty. Really? You know, I, first time you got power windows, right? You remember first time you didn't have to reach over and roll it up, roll it down? It was nice. But now we want touch screen, we want it to drive for us. So they got them to back up for all the people who came back up. Just hit a button. It'll back up, but it's empty. It's an incomplete life. We are living in bondage to things. It's what Solomon is telling us. Listen. He said, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. He said, bondage. Things. Bondage. We are owned. You know why people don't tithe a lot of times? It's not even because they don't want to. It's because they can't. They're so upside down in bondage because they're paying for the things that everybody else has that makes them miserable. We think that's what's going to make us happy because they've got it. College students, high schoolers, Hear me today. If you go to college, pay it off before you start buying houses, $70,000 trucks, which absolutely just cooks my brain. And then go to mom and daddy to get them to pay for your income taxes because you are mortgaged to the hilt. Mama and daddy's already paying for it because everybody else is bankrupted on that stuff. Listen, you don't need it if you can't afford it. And if you're not paying the Lord first, what is already... Listen, it's not that you're paying him for doing you a favor. You're bringing back what was his. You My daddy used to get on to us worse than anything because we would get his tools. You ever heard this, Wesley? Y'all don't put my tools back. You borrow my tools, you take my tools out there, and, and the truth is, that's what happened. Well, you know what now? I go out there, where's my tools? Laying in the yard. Kicked over somewhere. But then he said, you can use them. Put them back. The tithe is the Lord's. It's not yours. It's not yours. And when we bring it, and we've got a faithful church that, that gives... Listen, we're living an incomplete life in bondage. But notice not only the test of recreation, but of vocation. For some of us, our whole identity is wrapped up in our job. Especially us guys, listen, this is what we do. What do you do for a living? I'm with this. What are you? I'm with that. What do you do? I'll do this. I'll do that. It's all about what we do, it's our identity. But we've got to understand our identity has got to be in Christ. Because you know what? Things change. When I was growing up, they said if you went to work for the government, GM, Ford, or Lockheed, you could work there all your life, make good money, and retire. GM plants close. Ford plants close. Lockheed lays off more than they hire And the government, I went to work for them. And within a year, they had a reduction in force and laid off people. Nothing on this earth is forever. Nothing. Your health may not allow you to continue doing what you're doing now. You need to understand... He said in verse 4, I made me great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water. To water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. Man, I'm going to tell you, this is one of those plantations when you ride by and it's got the big high dollar fence and the big big brick things beside the driveway that's lined with beautiful big huge trees and there's fruit trees all out over here and pasture over here and row crops over here and everything's green, everything's lush and the spring, a big irrigation system is providing for everything and people's working everywhere and horses and cows. That's what this looked like to the nth degree. He said, I had great works. I made me great works. You know what that screams? Look at me. Solomon said, look at me. I'm smart. I'm wealthy. Look at all that I've done. That rich fool called all his buddies over and said... Look what I did. Look what I did. You know what we always like to write? Blank was here. Look at my name. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look at my records. Look at my stats. Look at my writing. Look at my singing. Look at all that I do. Look at my works. I've built all this. Look at me. Look at me. We will see in sermons to come, <clears throat> it does not last. He said, I gathered me also silver and gold and peculiar treasures of kings and of provinces. I got, got me men singers and women singers and the lights of sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great. I was great. Increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever my eyes desired. I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion. Of all my labor. And then I looked. On all the works that my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold. All was vanity. It was empty. It was a vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. You see, it wasn't just great works, but it was graded relationships. You know how he built all this? On the backs of the people. It, it, it was a graded relationship. You see, here's what we do we like to meet people. And we like to network with people if we think we can get something out of it. That's what we do. And if they don't satisfy our needs, then we move on. We say it's just kid drama. No, it's adult drama too. That if they don't, if they can't somehow provide something And bring something to the table. We don't need them. We don't need them. Kids in school. Kids in college. They make friends. But if their friends won't do what they want to go do. Then they're not their friends anymore. It's all drama. Well let's go eat here. I don't want to eat there. I want to eat where I want. Everybody wants their way. And so everybody gets mad. Sounds like men. Anyway. Um. You see, the problem is we see people as things, to be used and abused. I know pastors like this, and may I say, can I be real honest and transparent? I've done this. Saw church members as things to promote and to move forward, to build an earthly kingdom. But the older I get, the more I realise. people are what Jesus died for. They're not inanimate objects. They're not tools in a toolbox. They're not apples hanging on a tree to take one bite and disregard. To throw away as some rubble after a hurricane to be piled on the curb and picked up. And taken to the landfill. Think. We talk about banning guns and banning this and banning that. Do you know, and I saw the stats not too long ago, the greatest mass murders in American history, the Holocaust, somewhere around 6 million the Russian Empire, somewhere around 11 million. World War II, 70 million. Genghis Khan, 40 million. Y'all ready for this one? United States of America, 70 to 80 million. Unborn babies. Because we see them as inanimate objects, a glob. don't buy in to using worldly terminology, like fetus or su- listen. At conception, Amen. there's a child. Amen. I felt guilty for a while because listen. When Becky first got pregnant, I was I talked about it. Because I didn't know if it was a he or a she. And so I start, I was I was like I was convicted by that. It's, it's not an it. it's a person. And so I started calling it them. Them. And I talked to them. Read scripture to them. Sing to them. Because they were fearfully and wonderfully made. Church, we need to understand that our relationships matter. That they're not things to be disregarded. Solomon brought in their, their children. He brought in their girls to be maidens and to be concubines. He brought in their boys to be slaves and to be laborers. And he stole people's families. And he stole from the country. Because it was all about him. This world's not about us, church. It's about Jesus. It's a gaudy wealth. What does it gain a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses his own soul. Think of all the horror stories. Howard Hughes. The Hearsts, the Gettys, the Rockefellers. There's dark, deep-seated heartbreak in every one of those families with all the great wealth. They could have anything they want. And there's misery. So what is the answer? What's the answer? We need to understand, first of all, the answer is that pleasure is shallow. And fleeting. There was an old preacher in Hammond, Indiana, had the largest independent Baptist church in the United States of America, and the strongest sermon I think I've ever heard preached on sin. Jack Howell's preached called "Sundays Coming." He said, "Live it up. Sunday's coming." There's a day when the Lord's coming back, church, and all the pleasures of this world will no longer matter. Pleasure is shallow and fleeting. How many of you, and I, I want it to be rhetorical, so you just answer in your heart, but I think we know the answer. How many of you that are my age? or even 40 and above, still have your wreck ball trophies displayed in a prominent place in your home. Boy, we was proud of them when we got them, though, wasn't we? That little piece of... It, used to, they put real marble. I had a marble with a basketball on it or a little B football. I got... There's one about this tall. I was like, man, this is like winning the Super Bowl. It's like a Lombardi trophy. I don't know. I have a clue... The plates fall off of them they get scratched, they get thrown in a box, and we keep moving them for some reason. There's a pile of them that was donated back here in the youth room that somebody won. shallow. It's not fulfilling. Work is empty and unending. You can have the greatest work week of your life and make the most money in one week. You know what you'll have to do next week? Go to work. Either that or die. When people are laying on their deathbed, and they have the opportunity to talk to family and to share with them about their life and what they need to do, they don't say, whatever you do, work more hours. Whatever you do, get you a side job and make, no, 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 no. Get closer to the Lord and spend time with family because that is what matters. Work is empty and unending. But God's grace is the answer. you. You want fulfillment in life? You want more than pleasure? You want more than recreation and employment? You want more than vocation? You want real enjoyment? You want complete fulfillment? Then be everything you can be in Christ. Listen, young people, you've been taught. Hear me now. You've been taught you can be whatever you want to be. That's a lie. It's a lie. Don't you buy into that. I know what they meant. If you'll you'll assert yourself, I'm going to tell you something. You can't be whatever you want to be. Because there is such thing as a sovereign God. So, I want to grow up and be a mass murderer. Well, maybe God is not going to let you. And so, He'll strike you dead. You think He won't? You think, oh, God's a loving God. Well, tell me, who's the God that put that angel of death waiting on Balaam? Same God that so loved the world. Who's the one who sent an angel that slayed 185,000 people at one time? One angel. What God was that? It's our God. You see, we want to just heap up the love God and we forget that the God of love is the God of holiness and justice. We need to understand God's grace can overcome a a, a world of sin, but we've got to say, this is not enough. I need Jesus. And it's not Jesus and, Jesus plus. It's It's just Jesus. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Solomon, at the end of his life, died a broken man because he had put all of his hope in things. And taken his eyes off. And that's what he's telling us. He said, I took my eyes off the prize. The Apostle Paul in the other flip side of the coin left the world with all of its work and all of its zeal and all of its pleasure. Everything, he was moving up. He was going to be one of the most esteemed men in all of Israel. And he gave it all up when he met a man named Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he died at the hands of the Roman emperor for the cause of Christ. When he died, he didn't own land. He didn't own houses. As far as we know, he didn't have any family. But what he had The world couldn't take away. He said, there's now laid up for me a crown of life. But not for me only. But for all those who love his appearing church as they come to the instruments. Why don't we come to Jesus? Yes, it's an invitation, but I can't can't make you, fix you, and pray with you. But if you are still going through this life... Trying to find something to make you happy. I've got news for you. You just found it if you'll come to Jesus. He'll he'll fulfill your family. He'll fulfill your marriage. He'll fulfill your work life. He will give you the joy that only He can give. You know what David prayed? When David committed sin with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, when he realized the depth And severity of his sin. He got on his face and he said, God, against thee only have I sinned. And it was not arrogant. He prayed, Lord, restore unto me the joy of of your salvation. Today, you need that joy. Joy unspeakable. Come to Jesus. Come to the altar. Come to his altar, not Eastside's altar, but the altar of the Lord, and call out, "Jesus, save Come, come to Jesus this morning."